welcome to anybody who's never been here before. We hope you are enjoying your time. Um, the best part of the service is already gone, I'm afraid. Um, bring the word to you this morning, which is, is going to be somewhat a little bit challenging. I think it's one of those things that I've not really been able to get, get through totally myself in terms of uh, working, working through it. Um, but we're going to have a go this morning and see if there's any pointers there that's going to help us on our way. But um, if you've got a Bible or your, your app, we're going to be reading from Matthew 6, uh, chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. And it says this, it says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this morning I want to talk a little bit about the tensions that is described in this passage this morning. The tension is created between the pursuit of worldly treasure and heavenly treasure. And this passage clearly says that the treasure on this earth is only temporal, whereas the heavenly temp- uh, treasure is eternal. And yet, there is this tension between the two that pulls on our hearts. What is tension? Well, by the dictionary definition, tension is a state of being stretched tight. It means to apply force to something in order to stretch it. And when we look at this passage, it is clear to see the two different forms of treasure and how they compete for our heart. The treasure of this world and the heavenly treasure. Both are are obtainable in this life, but both hold different attributes. One of these treasures that we are told is only for a fixed amount of time, whereas the other treasure we are told does not perish. It does not corrode, and it can never be stolen. But what causes us to seek one over the other, or to seek both? How do we come to prioritize which we should be chasing after? Now, many of you will be more than aware that over the uh, following, over the last year or so, the bank interest rates went a little bit crazy, didn't they? As a result of inflation, people's mortgages had risen considerably due to the amount of interest they were paying on their loan, which they which has now increased. But for those people who had a little bit of money in the bank, a little bit of savings. They were feeling very happy since now they were getting a great return on their investment. And there are many different saving products out there, aren't there? With different terms and conditions. There are all types of savings accounts 
and oysters that come with their different terms and conditions. But what is noticeable is that the longer that you are prepared to save your money, in other other words, the longer that you are prepared not to touch it, say for a year or two years or maybe even five years, then the better the interest rate you will receive and the better return you will get on your money. So let's say 6% interest sounds a lot better than 3%, but yet the higher return comes with a less favourable condition. The heavenly treasure is a little bit like this. Second investment option. You will always be getting a return just that you won't be able to instantly access it to its full reward. You will never see its full glory until you perhaps are actually standing at the white pearly gates. Like a bank, heavenly treasure comes with certain conditions. Heavenly treasure does not appeal to instant gratification, whereas earthly treasure does. Why is it like that? Eh? Well, it's a little bit like me. Why, why does all the food that's good for you taste horrible? Why do Mars bars taste so good? Huh? Well, that's just the way it is. You see, there aren't any shortcuts. In general, earthly treasures not only appeal to instant gratification, but they appeal to ourselves. Heavenly treasure, on the other hand, is always thinking of the benefit outside of oneself. And we're going to unpack that a little bit later on. And so here we are, living in this present moment. And we have to live between this tension of the appeal of instant earthly treasures and having to face the sea beyond for reward of heavenly treasure. You see, I naturally feel more comfortable giving my money to the bank for a year than having to wait to get it back over five years. Because I feel more secure in knowing that I'm getting something back from it in the not-so-distant future. If we've got to wait until I die to receive heavenly treasure, is there not a risk that I might not see anything back? Or am I applying the same perspective to heavenly treasure as I would to earthly treasure? Am I concerned about what I can get out of it? And here lies that fundamental difference between the two treasures. One is about taking, and the other is about giving. But the Christian has to continue to live in this tension. It's so difficult, isn't it, sometimes, when we see everyone else around us who doesn't give two hoots about heavenly treasure. Seemingly, they are continuing to prosper and gain more earthly treasures. And we can be left thinking, where the heck is my portion? The truth is that the pleasures of this world, the things that which our hearts are attracted to, are in themselves. They're not bad. It's not a crime to own a beautiful car or a beautiful house or to spend your money on non-essential items. There's nothing wrong in that itself. Nothing wrong in pursuing a fantastic career. There's nothing wrong in investing all your time in your family and your children. But material possessions in themselves are not evil. Much of what we have are for the benefit, actually, for creating 
wholesome society, making it workable. But what are some of those trappings for our hearts? I don't know if many of you know this, but I actually have a business outside of um, working here. Um, and it's a sculpture business that I set up with my friend back in 2014. And when we set that business up, we had absolutely zilch to start it with. I mean, zero. My friend, who was working a full-time job, sold his car so that he would have his, enough of his money to put into the business, and he ended up having to catch the bus to work for the next six months. So we got enough money together, we went out to Zimbabwe, we bought a few sculptures, and we thought we could sell these back in garden shows back here in the UK. So we go out to Zimbabwe, we buy like three sculptures. <laughs> Wasn't many, I can tell you that. We ship them back and then we just uh, managed to scrape enough money together to go to our first show. And the first show that we went to was the flower show at Blenheim Palace. Does anybody know Blenheim Palace? It's where Winston Churchill was born, I think. Massive palace, beautiful place, beautiful setting, sort of thing you'd see on the Antiques Roadshow. And uh, there we are. We're set up. We've set up a marquee tent. It's the cheapest tent on the marquee. Uh, on the uh, on the market, sorry. Cheapest marquee to get. We had to stand on each corner when we're trying to sell just to hold it together. It literally blow over at the slightest bit of wind. It's awful. And there we are for the first day selling away. But we're not really. We sold zero on the first day. But we were in good spirit. We were enjoying the weather. We were there to sell. We were positive. Second day, we're selling, but not really. We sold zero. Got to the third day at lunchtime, and we're still at zero. And I'm starting to feel a little bit sorry for ourselves. I'm a bit worried. Is this business going to work? Well, just when we, you know, I thought, you know, we're coming to the end, we received a bit of encouragement from the guy next to us. Now, the guy next to us, we called him Mr. Maserati, because every morning when he drove into the show, he was driving this Maserati sports car. I thought, wow, there must be some money to be made here at these shows. He's driving a Maserati. He came over, he said, boys, how's it going? I said, well, it's not too bad, you know. He's like, yeah, it's not been the greatest show for me. I've only sold three. And he was selling these canopies that stretch out and go over all the garden furniture. I've only sold three. Normally, I would have sold six or seven by now. So I'm about £60,000 down, he goes. He sold £45,000 worth of these canopies. That's flipping heck. So I thought I'd better watch to see what he's doing. So as the customers come in, he would say to him, he'd say, come on, come over here, sir, come and have a look at this. And he had all the spill. He said, look at this. He'd go, he'd go watch this. Look, see how, how quickly this goes up. He goes, how fast was that, sir? He goes, let me tell you, three seconds. Less than three seconds, and it was up. It was ISDN 192 patented as well, or something or other. And he would get the customer, he'd pull them in. Before you know it, they'd be sat there at the desk, and they were signing this piece of paper. How's he doing it? Well, we get to four o'clock. We've got two hours to go. Thankfully, 
the good old Bishop of Dorchester was there and he bought one of our sculptures. And then another lady came up straight after him and bought another one. And we managed to take, I think, enough to pay for our wages and enough money to pay for the next show. It's fantastic, but Mr. Maserati, what was he doing? Get to the next show and we meet somebody that I know quite well now called Steve and said to him, we had this guy next to us that was selling at the show. He said, uh, really, was his name? I said, yeah. And did he have his wife? I said, yeah. He said, go on YouTube and uh, uh, see what you find on YouTube about him. Looks like big business here. Up comes Crime Watch. This guy was getting people at the table to sign for an appointment, but underneath on the carbon copy, they were signing for £15,000 worth of, of uh, garden canopy or whatever it was. But he'd got found out. We've got to prioritize, prioritize integrity over wealth, the desire for more, the freedom that money could supposedly bring. You don't want to be trading your integrity. God is looking for people who are upstanding and conducting themselves in the right way. If it means you've got a little less just because you've declared all your taxes, then so be it. You don't want to be getting to that position, do you, where you're trading wealth for, well done, my good and faithful servant. Have I ever told you about the first time I fell in love? I was at university and I'd had my eye on this girl. An opportunity hadn't come about. But the fire alarm went off one night in the halls of residence. And so we all had to stand outside in the dark and I'm stood there with my mates and the girls were stood together over there were waiting to go back into the university. And I looked up and as I looked up, she was looking at me. I looked away quickly. I thought, no, no, why am I looking away? So I looked back, she wasn't looking, and then she looked at me, and I thought, I'm going to hold this stare. <laughs> and then she looked away. But all of a sudden, I've been captured. We started dating. By six months down the line, I was running around doing everything. I was going shopping for her. She even had me doing her ironing for her. I don't even iron for myself. Our relationships can create an imbalance in priorities. You know, there's absolutely nothing that should form a greater priority in our lives than our spouse or our family, except for one. And that is God. For many who do not believe in the thought of an invisible man in the sky holding priority over their most nearest and dearest, the concept will seem a little bit absurd. It is possible for your family to take the centre stage for your heart. In the book of Genesis, there is a story of how God instructed a man named Abraham to take his only son to the top of the hill and present him as a sacrifice. Just in the moment when Abraham drew that blade 
and raised it above his son. God said, stop. Is God crazy? Why would God demand something of someone to do that that is just so cruel? But God does not lead us to sin. God's intention was never to allow Abraham to follow through with the act, but God did want to test the man's heart. He wanted to see if a man could lose his most prized possession for the sake of God. Is God crazy? He's so crazy in love with us, with you and me, that he was prepared, likewise, to send his son because he loved you and me that much that he was prepared for him to die. But this time it wasn't a test. There was no stop when Jesus allowed himself to be hung on the cross. His love for you and me was greater than his love for himself. You see, his kingdom treasure is you and me. The only way that he could acquire that treasure was to give something of himself. It's his desire for every one of us to be in relationship with him. And he was prepared to do whatever it would cost in order for us to be able to step into that freedom. Heavenly treasure will always cost us something of ourselves. Our families should be the possession we hold most dear after our relationship with God. Every one of us should be encouraging each other to prioritize God in our lives and not each other. Healthy relationships are always the ones that have God at the center. Can you believe it? I did something extraordinary last week. I went shopping. How many people here love shopping? Let's hear a yay if you love shopping. And let's hear a groan if you hate shopping. There's a a distinct difference in the tone there as well. I went shopping and I saw some of my fellow comrades out out there being, well, I won't say dragged, but following their better halves around, enjoying shopping. Do you know what? I was so proud of myself. I went to buy a new coat and I went into three shops before I bought it. Normally, I walk into the shop, it says 30 quid, and I say, lovely, thank you very much, and I'm out of there. But this time, I looked around three shops before I chose my coat. So proud, I was proud, wasn't I? The thing that I was talking about. We live in a society that constantly reminds us of what we should look like, concerned with our appearance and how others view us. If we're not in the latest fashion, then somehow that alienates us from others. It's all, in almost every aspect of life, there is a tension put upon us as to how we must dress or look. What I absolutely love about this church is that you can walk into this building however you wish. There are some people who come into church and they are dressed immaculately. And there are others of us who say, let's say we're a little bit more scruffy. Why? Is it wrong that your pastor is not suited and booted? Is it wrong if he is? Absolutely not. It's amazing to see the way we all dress. 
And I can feel people right now, you're probably starting to feel a little bit conscious. Am I overdressed or am I underdressed? No. You came as you are. And all are welcome, however they come into this building. There are occasions in life when a certain attire definitely is more respectable and, uh, and appropriate. 100%, you know. You, you won't ever see any of us up here wearing dog collars. Um, but I would wear one if I was, say, going to a funeral and the family wanted that as a wish, as a mark of respect. Or if it was to hinder the opportunity of someone hearing the gospel. Sometimes we have to sacrifice our own personal preferences for the sake of the things that really matter. If by the way I dress or do not dress causes someone so much offence that they do not hear the gospel, then perhaps I need to rethink. But we'll never have a culture in this church that will judge you according to what you wear in this building. You see, a non-judgmental environment is one which is actually storing up heavenly treasure. God's kingdom is an all-inclusive kingdom. How do we deal with living in this tension? How do we keep our eyes, as it says in Hebrews, fixed on Jesus? Maybe we need to look at the world through God's perspective rather than our own. Jesus freely gave up his own life for the benefit of you and me. When the thoughts come into our minds, when we see others with earthly treasure, where do our hearts and minds turn? Do they turn to the thoughts and feelings of resentment and envy? Or are we at peace? If we see someone who has something or is doing something that I can't do or have, with a, what perspective do I take? It isn't easy to wish. It is easy, sorry, to wish that I had more. It's not so easy to be content with what I have. How do I deal with this constant bombardment of the environment in which we live that seemingly continues to pour out reasoning after reasoning as to why we should have this or why we deserve to have that? Again, I return to the beginning. These earthly treasures appeal to the self. The earthly treasure compels you to be attracted for what it is that you can gain. I've seen people store up heavenly treasures. I met a guy when I was out in America when I first came to faith. I um, went to his small group that he'd set up there. And he sort of took me under his wing a little bit and started to look after me. He went out and he bought some books for me to disciple me, for me to read. After he bought these books for me, I called him up and said, Roger, would you mind coming to my baptism service? I, I thought that I was going to get baptized in the sea where I was living. And he said, sorry, Mark, I can't. I said, uh, why? He said, I just can't afford it at this time. He didn't have the money to put in his car, but he had the money to buy me books for the better of my Christian faith and development. I was out in Zimbabwe recently and got into a conversation with my, uh, my friend's uncle. And we were talking about the condition of Zimbabwe, the condition of the country, and how it got to this point. And inevitably, we went into the history. And in a sympathetic way, I kind of said, you know, the white man has come out to Africa and has stripped Africa for his own needs. And now you've got this country in this terrible situation. I can remember seeing uh, orphans standing in the middle of crossroads of six lanes of traffic, blind, 
putting our hands out for money could get run over at any minute. It's not something that we can comprehend in this country here. I said this about, you know, the, the, the reasoning that I thought of why we've got to this situation. And his response was this. He said, Mark, if the white man had not come to Africa, maybe nor would have the gospel. What a perspective as he sits there without any electricity, worrying about what food's next coming on his table. His priority was a kingdom priority. The gospel of Jesus Christ was more important to him than the food he put in his mouth. So many of us here will come from places in the world that are far less prosperous than this country. You know, this, this is, is a reality that I'm talking about to be true. And it's a cultural shift that needs to take place here. Taking our gaze off ourselves and fixing it instead on others. That's what Jesus did. Even when he was hanging on the cross, he gave out of himself by saying, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. And that's what this, this country used to do. For that which it had freely received, it freely gave out. This country used to send missionaries all over the world. And now it's in reverse. God is sending missionaries here. Maybe that's the purpose for why you're here. This is where your treasure lies. A perspective that seeks after heavenly treasure is one which is selfless. It's the perspective of giving, not taking. Instead of earthly treasures which fade or perish, heavenly treasures do the opposite. The heavenly treasure, instead of corroding, it actually grows, it multiplies. When I think of what others have invested in me, I would hope that the return on that investment would be tenfold. When you spend time with someone, one-to-one, -to, -one, to give them advice and counsel them on their situation, you're investing in someone not for personal gain, but in order to see that person grow and flourish, no matter what their circumstance is. I can remember in my old church, I went to see somebody who was dying. A guy um, who was dying of asbestos, I think it was, and cancer, etc. I thought I'd go around there. I might have told this before, but I thought I'd go around there and, and encourage him. I walked out of that building in tears because of what he had said to me. He said, Mark, I want you to see how I'm handling this because I want it to be an example for you later in life of how to handle different, difficult situations. He wasn't afraid. Maybe he was, but he didn't show it. But he encouraged me. He could have handed me a tenner and said, go out and buy yourself something nice. But instead he gave me something that will, that will last with me forever. I'm still talking about it now. You see, generosity starts with ourselves. Giving our whole lives to him to do with what he pleases. We offer, offer ourselves to do the work of him, whatever that may be, in order for us to go higher than we must go lower. And that means giving up our personal desires and ambitions and trading them for kingdom ambitions. That is where the treasure is. That is where our hearts need to be. Let's consider that this morning. But like I said at the beginning, I don't claim to have mastered this by any means. That heart is so easily pulled in different directions. 
I'd recommend that we start with little steps. Maybe there's those little things that God highlights in our lives. What do you want me to put down, God? What do you want me to be not quite so attached? And that's personal. That's between you and me. Band, if you'd like to come back up. We're just going to close with a, with a song. But I just want to pray as the band are coming up. Let's just bow our heads for one second. Lord God, there are many people here this morning, Lord God, who have experienced this tension. Father, would you let our hearts become in one with your mind and your desire and will for our lives? Father, there are times in life when we are in need and we're desperate. Sometimes we haven't got money. Sometimes we haven't got the material possessions. Father, will you fill us with your heavenly treasures? Will you give us peace that will always last? Will you bring contentment to us, even in the hardest of times? And Father, when we do have those prosperous times and you do give us earthly things, Lord God, don't let us take them for granted. Help us to be thankful for them. Father, help us to work out sometimes when our heart is divided. Help us to wrestle with these truths. Lord, guide us on the way. In Jesus' name, amen.